All right, I think that's about it in terms of announcements, so let's get back to the book of Psalms and begin in Psalm 34 today. We came down finishing in chapter 33 last time, the parting thought there being that we should not trust in war chariots and military horses, but trust in God who is able to save us from death and to keep us alive in famine, as it says in verse 9. And then that we rejoice in Him because we trusted in His holy name. So it's a call to faith, a call to trust in God. And he closed with the thought of hope and mercy, which is what we all need. We're going to see a continuation in thought here in chapter 34 and on the next few chapters about the difficulties in life and where we do have to turn when things are difficult. So he says in chapter 34, verse 1, I will bless the eternal at all times. Now that means throughout life, any time, we need to be in an attitude and an approach of blessing toward and a positive attitude toward God. Obviously we can't think of God every second of the day because we get involved in things and at work and we might get our hand in the chainsaw or somewhere uh, if we were thinking of God at all times, you do have to focus and concentrate on what you're doing. But the overall thought in the back of our mind and our emotions and our subconscious at all times really should be about our Creator and what He's done for us, what He's given us, the opportunity that is ahead of us of salvation and eternal life and peace and security. So our, our attitude at all times should be in thanksgiving to God. As he continues to say, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So not only do our thoughts pertain to God, but we frequently speak of God. Uh, He even says that there in Malachi, that when he makes up his jewels, he will remember those who speak often of him. And that's an end-time prophecy for today, there at the end of Malachi. So he's echoing what is being said here in the psalm. My soul shall make her boast in the eternal. We tend as humans to boast in ourselves, our looks, our intellect, our background, our heritage, or whatever it might be that we are so proud of. No, our boast is in God, because He is the only one that can take that which is weak, that which is base, that which is so human and so fleshly, and turn it into something worth keeping forevermore. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. So if we make our boast in God and what he can do and is planning to do, those who are humble will be glad. They will resonate. They will identify with that attitude. Oh, magnify the eternal with me and let us exalt his name together. Our Father in heaven, as we've stressed lately quite a bit, We need to be talking one another or with one another about the things of God. And that's what he said again there in Malachi, that we speak to each other frequently about God and his way. Should be on the tip of our tongue, should be constantly on our mind. I sought the eternal, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So when we fear, when we're nervous, when we're timid, when we do not have confidence... What do we do? The the solution is seek God. And he will hear and deliver, 
and bring us back to peace and calmness, security, uh, with an absence of fear. Well, this is speaking not of awe of God. This is speaking of human fears about what we'll eat and what we'll wear and where we'll go and what we'll do and who will do what to us. Most of the things that you worry about that never will happen anyway, but we tend to be filled with those things as human beings. But God is the one you go to to get the answer to that. They looked to him and were enlightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Who are the Illuminati? Those who go and seek God and are filled with his spirit, and their faces are lightened up by God, the true illumined ones. There are those who claim to be the enlightened, and they're in darkness, and they worship the prince of the power of darkness. We are the true Latter-day Saints, and we should be enlightened by the knowledge and the word and the spirit of God. This poor man cried, and the Eternal heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. So you don't have to be rich, you don't have to be noble, but a poor man can cry, and God will hear. The angel of the eternal encamps round about them that fear him and delivers him. So God sends his angels to be around us. If you could see them, you might see a whole bunch of them on the hillside protecting you that you normally would not see at all. There is an example of that in scripture. Oh, taste and see that the eternal is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. You can't stand back. You can't say, well, I know I wouldn't like that. You have to taste something to know whether you like it or not. Sometimes we're fearful of tasting things, or we're afraid we won't like it. When it comes to just something physical to eat, maybe, that we have never tried before, where some people will grab it and say, okay, I'll try that. But some are far more timid, and, oh, I don't know whether I want to try that or not, and are more fearful and timid by nature. But he says, no matter who you are, poor man, those who have troubles, taste and see that God is good, and that you can begin to trust him, that you'll be blessed for it. He is truly looking, seeking those who will trust him and have faith in him, and they are few and far between. Oh, fear the eternal, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. He will take care of our needs, and that's what Christ promised in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about physical things. He will take care of them. You do your part, you work, you earn, but you don't fear. You don't have anxious thought. He doesn't say we don't have thought about uh, our work, our food, our clothes, and so on. You have to think about them to earn them or to make them or whatever, but you don't have anxious or fearful worried thought the young lions do lack and suffer hunger but they that seek the eternal shall not want any good thing young lions often are spoken of in scripture as uh, young people young men Uh, they think they have everything but in this world they're going to lack and they're going to suffer uh, because they don't understand but If we seek God, we will find the answers to everything that we have need of. So it doesn't, might and strength in a young man or in a young lion does not answer all the questions. But as we seek God, we'll begin to find answers. Uh, 
Come, you children, hearken to me. I will teach you the fear of the eternal. Of course, that's the beginning of wisdom, as we know. You can't have wisdom without fearing God and his way. What man is he that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Who does that? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. That's one of the, probably the hardest thing for us to do. So if you can control the whole body, but if you can't control the tongue, and nobody, and it says no man can. The tongue is very, very difficult to control. And that's how we get ourselves in trouble, mostly, is with our tongues. Depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Peace is not something that comes automatically. It has to be pursued. It has to be worked at. War and contention between people is a natural state. I think I said that last week. It comes easily. It's easy to get crossways with each other. It's easy to get upset, angry, uh, ticked off, whatever, uh, with someone else. And we have to look for and seek peace. It will not come to us automatically. You have to make peace, as he says again in Matthew 5. It is not a natural state. War is. Whether it be our spiritual lives and our friends and family and in God's church, or whether it be between nations. That is human. It is natural. It is carnal. It is the works of the flesh which prevail upon this earth. That's why he tells us don't have the works of the flesh. When we're fighting with someone, when we're angry at someone, when we won't speak to someone, or we're icy about it if we do, then we have a problem. And we cannot expect them to solve it. And maybe we don't like them so much that we don't even care if it gets solved. Well, God says, seek peace and pursue it. It's easy, as Paul said, to love those that you like. It is hard to love those that you don't like. They are the ones that he says, do good to. Not ignore, not talk about, but do good too. And really, it is by fruits more than by words, because words can hurt, words can be insincere, they can be sarcastic, they can say, yeah, I love you, sure I do. But by tone of voice, you know that that is not the emotion behind what is being said. So you do good to them. You think of something to do that they would be pleased with, that they would enjoy. And maybe as you actually do something for them, your attitude and mind might change. <clears throat> Remember that God did never bless Job until he prayed for his friends. That was one of the keys to Job's turnaround. They're about chapter 42 or wherever it is right in there. I think it's the, the last chapter. Where he says, he blessed Job again when he prayed for his friends. Instead of being in animosity against them or contending with them, 
He turned and earnestly, sincerely prayed for them. For their good, not for evil to come upon them, I think is implied very clearly. So peace does not come easy. He says, seek it, pursue it. The eyes of the Eternal are upon the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. If we will live righteously, if we will set our hearts to serve God and to bless Him at all times, and His praise be continually in our mouths, verse 1, then He says He will open His ears to our cry. The face of the Eternal is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. God is going to cut evil off the earth. And if we are evil, then we will be cut off with it. Therefore, we need to become righteous so that we're worth keeping. The righteous cry, and the Eternal hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Well, the righteous are going to have troubles. And they cry out when they're in trouble. And then God says, I will deliver. So that teaches us to turn to God is when we have trouble and turn to Him, and He begins to deliver us in one way, form, or fashion at some time from our troubles. The Eternal is near to them that are of a broken heart, and save such as, as be of a contrite spirit. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Christ spoke these things through David in the Old Testament. And then he spoke them to his New Testament disciples very clearly there in that first teaching session on the mountain. All about the attitudes we ought to have. Now notice again a verse probably most of us memorized long, long ago and can quote and probably even know where it is. One of the memory scriptures. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the eternal delivers him out of them all. So if we are to be righteous, if we are to serve God, we are going to have afflictions. It just It's part of the territory. It, it comes with the territory. It's part of the job. Because everything in this world that Satan does and that mankind does is aimed against God and aimed against his way. So if we try to do that which is right and good, we are going upstream against everything around us. And that creates affliction, it creates trouble, it creates conflict. So we will have many afflictions as we try to serve God. Straight and narrow is the way, hard is the gate. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. God looks over us, he counts our hair, he watches our bones. Now that doesn't mean that one, once in a while we might not break a physical bone, but the spiritual meaning here is that God is going to take care of us and we don't have to worry. Evil shall slay the wicked and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. Now that is a prophecy. It isn't a thing of the past. Uh, shall is used here. Speaking of the future. They shall slay the wicked and they shall be desolate. But they're not yet. They still seem to prosper around us. The Eternal redeems the soul of His servants, and none of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. So the world is getting their reward. They want the things of the flesh, and Satan has provided those things for people in this world, and they have no desire, truly, to seek God. 
But God offers us something better, not just physical uh, pleasures on this earth, but eternal life and peace and security and, and loving relationships forevermore. We will not wind up desolate. We will wind up peace and safety and happiness. All right, Psalm 35. Plead my cause, O Eternal, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Now bear in mind again that many of the feelings, the emotions that are expressed here by the psalmist were things that Christ himself thought and that David himself uh, experienced even as we experience them. But Christ did them in a greater way and he mentions perfection and various things here and not having sin. Well, that has to be of Christ directly because we know David had sin and so do we. But we're trying to be like Christ. We're trying to be like God even as David tried, but he fell short. But Christ looked to his Father in heaven to plead his cause. Remember when he was tortured, when he was killed, he uttered not a word. He just took it like a sheep and left his life in God's hands. And God let him die, but then he resurrected him. And he will eventually, sooner or later, let us die, but then he will resurrect us as well. So we look to him to plead our cause. With them that strive with me, fight against them that fight against me. Well, Satan and his demons were the biggest enemy Christ had, and certainly they are the biggest enemy we have. We do not see them, but it says that, they, that Satan accuses us daily. It says that our fight is against principalities and powers of the air that we don't see, but they are fighting against us. And Satan is working through the minds of men to create all kinds of temptations for us that will lead us from God. <clears throat> so we do have a fight on our hands. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. And in Ephesians, Paul does say that we're to take the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and so on. Uh, those are the spiritual uh, tools that we need for warfare. Draw out also the spear, the word of God, and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. The spear, the sword, those are our offensive weapons. The rest are for protection. But those which you use against others are the word of God. Well, where do we, how can we fight others who come against us? Only with the word of God, which is true. And that will convict the gainsayer. They may not accept it, they may not like it, but they can't answer it either. And sometimes they left Christ confounded and confused because he quoted the right scripture at the right time. Uh, ah, that we could, but so often we fall short of remembering where it is or when it is or which one to say. We might think of it a day later or a month later when we read it, but he had it on the tip of his tongue. I guess that means we should be studying our Bibles more too so that those are at the tip of our tongue. Even if you don't know exactly where it is, you might remember what it says, and that's what counts. Uh, so he asks that God draw out his word against those that persecute him. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. 
And I suspect that those who crucified Christ were very confounded and confused when they saw him walking the earth again through the streets of Jerusalem. Let them be as chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the eternal chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the eternal persecute them. So whether it be mankind as enemy, or the the demonic world, uh, God can chase them away. And we ask him to rebuke them from us, do we not, when we sense that there might be a demonic, de- demonic presence or thought that comes to mind. For without cause have they hid me for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Now, I don't think you can say that of David. In some respects, he was trying to obey God, but they had things they could bring, railing accusations against him because of things in his life that were not yet what they ought to be. But Christ never did. So this is a prophecy even more directly of Christ than it was of David who wrote this. Let destruction come upon him unaware, and let his net that he has hid catch himself into that very destruction, let him fall. So all the machinations of mankind failed against Christ, and ultimately, if we're on God's side, and he then therefore is on our side, uh, their attempted destruction against us will fail. It'll fall. He will protect those who will trust in him. And my soul shall be joyful in the eternal. It shall rejoice in his salvation. We look forward to him saving us physically and spiritually. And when it happens, we will rejoice. All my bones shall say, Eternal, who is like you, which delivers the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yes, the poor and the needy from him that spoils him. Even on a physical level, look at the New World Order, the beast power, and they will have the whole world worshiping them. They will have all the power physically and militarily in the world. But if we flee and are accounted worthy to escape what they are bringing against us, which will be death, we will rejoice when we escape to a place where God will protect. And all your bones are going to rejoice at that time. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. That would be Christ, ultimately. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. He he never did anything but good and was rewarded with evil. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. So, what did Christ do? He had enemies around He healed the sick. He walked in humility, not in pride. He kept himself humble with fasting and prayer. And it was within himself. They weren't going to listen to him, but it returned to his own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. So those who came and wanted to hurt him, he behaved himself himself toward them as though they had been friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourns for his mother. Now we can be very close to our mothers in many cases. And he said when he had those who were against him, he treated them like a friend or a brother or a mother. And if we could only treat those that we think despitefully use us and persecute us, 
as mothers, brothers, and so on. That's what we're called on to do. The church is our spiritual family. Our brothers and our sisters should be closer than our blood brothers and sisters. Christ made that point very clearly when he said, These who are seeking spiritual uh, help and assistance are my brothers and sisters, and my physical mom and brothers and sisters have got to wait outside because I'm taking care of these first. If we reach the point where we would treat our brothers and sisters and spiritual mothers as kindly, as gently, as lovingly as we do our physical families. If we don't, then we have some growing to do until we can come to that point. And not just the ones, as I said earlier, that we like, but those that we have contentions with. We have to solve that. We have to seek peace, pursue it, not sit back and stay away from it we have to fix relationships when they break. Will they break? Yes, they will. Will they be tested? Yes, they will. What will we do about it? Will we allow it to be twisted, stretched, broken, or will we fix it? But in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. It doesn't matter. They can rejoice against us. They can be mad at us, they can hate us, but we are to do good to those that despitefully use us and persecute us, whether it's uh, valid or whether it is invalid. Boy, can we get upset when we think we're falsely accused. Oh, can we get angry. Well, we're not supposed to. Every accusation that was ever pointed at Christ was a false accusation. Every last one. And he took it with patience, with mercy, and with love toward those who were doing it. Forgive them, Father. They don't even know what they're doing. He would even forgive those who do know what they're doing. He would ask them to repent. Yes, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me, and ceased not. I didn't pay any attention to it. In other words, I knew it not. Well, it was happening, but he knew it not. He didn't let it upset him. He didn't get angry. Uh, he didn't bite back, bite back. He just went on as if it were not happening. They tear, tore me. And they wouldn't quit. With hypocritical mockers in feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling or my only one from the lions. The David is a derivative of the word darling or only one. So he didn't try to answer it himself, and Christ certainly didn't. But he said, how long, Father, will you put up with this? Please take care of me. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among much people. So when does God does help us, when he does deliver us, we're supposed to spread that. We're supposed to tell that. Not in pride, not in vanity, not in self-righteousness, but to share the blessings that God gives us with others that they might be encouraged and have hope in that. 
it's, it's not a matter of what we say, it's the motive. Is it to be proud, spiritually proud, that God answered me, why didn't he answer you? No, that is deleterious. But if we do it in humility and meekness to share God's goodness, then that's a wonderful thing. Let not them that are my enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Oh, they'll stir up trouble. Well, he says, deliver us from those who would stir trouble. We are not here to stir trouble, but we do it often with our brains, with our mouths, but we shouldn't. We're here to make peace, not disturb the peace. Yes, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye has seen. I'm going to nail you to the stake. I am going to nail you to the wall. I saw something evil. I saw something bad. I got you. What kind of an attitude is that? Is that a godly attitude? Are we looking for a way to trip somebody up. Ah, got them now. I'll nail them to the wall. I know about those people. No, can't be there. God loves, it is his glory to conceal sin, not to say, aha, aha, I got you now. If we have that attitude, we are satanic in our approach. Did we hear that at all? If we have that attitude, it is a satanic attitude. It is the influence of carnality and demonism. And we need to get away from that. Anytime you're in an attitude of, I'm going to catch somebody at something, you are not in a godly attitude whatsoever. If you're looking for sin or looking for faults. This you have seen, O Eternal, keep not silence. O eternal, be not far from me. Look to him for help. Stir up yourself and awake to my judgment, even to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O eternal, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. We're getting incredible lessons here in Christian living. You know, most Christian living sermons, it seems, come from the New Testament. People want to do Christian living. They'll go to uh, Paul's... Epistles, or they'll go maybe to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to preach Christian living, and certainly it is there. But all those Christian living epistles are rooted in the Old Testament, and much of it comes from the Psalms. So if we're studying Psalm, we're not studying Old Testament. We're studying the very basis of New Testament Christianity, and we're going through the thoughts and the feelings that Christ had in his life and that David had and certainly that you and I have had and still do have because we're fighting these very things that we're reading about here. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so would we have it. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. So we look to God's protection from those who would destroy us if they could. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together to rejoice at my hurt. Now, some of these things aren't ultimately going to be taken care of until Christ returns to the earth and rules with a rod of iron because Satan, his demons, and the people that are under his influence are all around us. 
And we can only expect a certain amount of help from God today until he takes hold and comes to rule. And we hopefully with him if we stand against the world and Satan. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. And ultimately they will, maybe to some degree now, but more in the future for sure. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yes, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So the wicked take pleasure in wickedness. We should take pleasure in God being magnified and the blessings that we get from him. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, was a song that wasn't too far off the mark, even though it was done with somewhat a Protestant approach. But the certainly the attitude and, and that uh, state of mind is encouraged. My tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. We started this sermon beginning of verse chapter 34 with that thought, and here we find it again at the end of chapter 35. So these, these things are stated over and over again. Uh, repetition helps drill them into our mind of the approach that we ought to have. Chapter 36, the transgression of the wicked says within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Oh, God, he's, not, he's too old. He's gone away. He doesn't pay any attention. We're going to get away with this. They don't fear God. For he flatters himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. He thinks he's okay until finally it's discovered, no, he's not okay at all. The word of his mouth, or words of his mouth, are iniquity and deceit. He has left off to be wise and to do good. Doing good and being wise is not easy. It's easy to be full of iniquity and deceit. He devises mischief on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He abhors not evil, uh, gets used to it, and lives in it. Your mercy, O Eternal, is in the heavens. So he contrasts the way of the world and the way of natural, normal human thinking. And your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So it's bigger than man's attitudes and it will overcome the evil attitudes eventually. Your righteousness is like great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep, O Eternal. God did not make his judgments uh, hastily. He did not make them frivolously. He had thought them through very deeply. And if we live by his judgments, by the way he thinks, uh, things will go well. If we go against them, then things will ultimately not go well, even as they are not ultimately going well for this world. We thought we had built a wonderful society in this country, and it is contrary to God for the most part, and it's just about to be destroyed. O Eternal, you preserve man and beast. How excellent is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. I might add to that, not very many do. But if we can recognize how excellent he is and how kind and loving and gentle he is, then we will put our trust <coughs> under him and accept his protection 
They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of your house, and you shall make them drink of the river of your pleasure. He's going to have a river come out from under his throne, and it's going to bring peace, safety, security, and the way of God with it, and heal the nations. Not just the soil, but the attitudes of people. For with you is the fountain of life. People have spent a lot of time and money looking for the fountain of youth or fountain of life. God has it. In your light shall we see light. Therefore, we're going to see what other people cannot see. Seek his light and we will be enlightened. O continue your loving kindness to them that know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are uh, cast down and shall not be able to arise. This world is increasingly against the ways of God and it will become uh, a death penalty at some point to even keep the Sabbath. Why do they hate the Sabbath so much? Out of all the commands of God, they, they'll say they're done away, but if they do say that they're in effect, you don't kill and lie and steal and so on, and that that's good and that you should obey God and you should worship Him and not have idols, they'll say those things. And they'll agree with you even though they will say the law is done away with, they'll still say the rest of them are good till you come to the Sabbath. That is the test commandment. They hate the Sabbath. Well, why? Because it pictures the kingdom of God. Every week, every seventh day, we go through in symbolic uh, or in symbolism uh, the millennium. Hebrews 4 makes it very clear that the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, pictures the thousand-year reign of Christ, the seventh thousand year of man's experience on this earth. And they do not want to look to Christ's rule. They do not want to look at his kingdom. They do not want to see the symbolism that is involved there. And even if they don't understand what the Sabbath means, they just have a natural aversion to it. They hate it. I think that Herbert Armstrong was probably right. There are those who say, well, Adam and Eve probably lived in the garden for years before they sinned. I doubt it. Satan is an opportunist. And the whole context back there is that God had just told them, stay away from that tree. You can do this and you can do that. His instruction was fresh. And I think probably Sunday morning is exactly when Satan first approached them and deceive them. First day of the week. And that has been man's day since, and Satan's day since. God's day is the seventh. That's the first thing that Satan attacked, because why? Because he hates the idea of Christ coming to rule the earth in his kingdom. So he hates the Sabbath with a purple passion, if you will. And that's one reason he has turned people so much against it. Because he wants to rule the earth and continue to rule the earth. And it has been decreed that that 7,000 years will be the reign of Christ. And if there's anything he hates, it's the kingdom of God. He is very, very busily now trying to set up his kingdom on this earth. And he's going to proclaim a 1,000 year 
peaceful millennium of worldwide rule. Uh, and it'll last a very, very short while. And it will fail with iron and miry clay for feet. Chapter 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be you envious against the workers of iniquity. Uh, there are places in the Psalms where David says, well, why do the wicked seem to prosper? He said, don't fret over it. Uh, they'll get theirs, and you'll get what you deserve if you serve God, and that is blessing and honor. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. That reminds me of Isaiah 40, where the voice crying in the wilderness says, What shall I utter? What shall I cry? And he says, Cry that all flesh is as grass. It will wither and die. So, may not have happened yet, but the end time message is that all flesh is soon going to wither, and the kingdom of God will be set up with the few. Trust in the eternal and do good. So shall you dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. He'll take care of us. may not seem like it for a while, but we do what's right. He will take care of us. I think there's a place in here we're going to maybe get to if I get that far today that says he will, uh, the, the wicked do not starve to death. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so next chapter 37, verse 25, since it came to mind. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor see his seed begging bread. If we obey God, we're not going to starve to death. Some people will approach the third tithe year and say, Oh, well, you know, we don't have enough money to make it, and we can't make it. Well, that is not a, an attitude of faith and trust. It's an attitude of fear and doubt. And we have to overcome that. I've been watching people now for about 60 years keep third tithe. And I've seen thousands and thousands of people do it. I've heard their stories. And I have never, ever yet seen anybody in God's church starve to death. It has not happened in this age whatsoever. And it will not so long as we obey God. Things may seem tough at times. Things may seem hard. But a great preponderance of those whose stories I have heard about third tithe were that they couldn't see it on paper, but it happened. God took care of them and gave them whatsoever they needed to cause them to survive, and they had blessings that they had not seen at other times. There are a few with stories that uh, leave a bad taste in their mouth, I guess. I don't know all the ramifications of that. But I do know that the hundreds and hundreds and thousands that I've encountered throughout my life have said, God took care of us somehow, some way. You couldn't put it on paper. It didn't add up. But God saw us through it, and we did fine. So maybe there's something wrong somewhere if you don't have that story, and maybe that needs to be addressed in attitude or whatever. But you will not see the righteous beg bread uh, homeless, please help, on the corner of the freeway. God will take care of them. I just kind of skipped ahead there, but that came to mind, and I wanted to comment on it. Uh, the evil will be cut down. Trust in the eternal and do good, verse 3. So shall you dwell in the land, and you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the eternal, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. 
God does not give us everything we want because we limit Him in that we depart from Him usually when we receive blessing. So um, we tend to forget God when things go real well. When things go bad is when we start tending to repent and turn to God. That's why He spewed us out of His mouth as a church, so that we might begin to seek Him. And then he says, I will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't come immediately, and it comes based upon our level of trust and confidence and faith in him to a great degree. Uh, What did he say to people when he healed them, when he was on this earth? Your faith, your trust, your belief has made you whole. If we doubt, then that is not a faith. Anything we doubt that God promises... Uh, is not of faith, and he does not reward those who do not have faith. This is all about learning to trust God. Commit your way to the eternal. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. But he's got to try you and test you to see if that commitment is there. How long did poor Abraham and Sarah wait? till their bodies were all dried up and completely incapable of producing children. And then God fulfilled the promise. But he made them wait and trust and hope. And he didn't say, all right, uh, if you'll you'll be good and have a nice attitude for 24 hours, uh, Sarah will conceive. No, he let them go on year after year after year, and then he did it. Sometimes we look at things around us and think, well, we've been here now for X number of years. God said he's going to bless us if we came here, and he hadn't done it. What's the matter? Well, how long did Joseph sit in prison and nobody told him anything? He had been falsely accused and thrown in prison for something that he didn't do. And yet he was of a good attitude and trusted God and never doubted and uh, wound up basically running the prison from inside. When it was time, God blessed him for his patience, for his waiting, for his trust. Same with Abraham and Isaac, who was the one that was to be killed in that case. And he had a trust and a faith in God, and he was delivered from his father's knife. Not so Christ. He fell under the knife. He died. His blood ran out. But his father saved him in the long run. God will bring it to pass if we trust him, if we do have faith. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. That which we suffer individually, painfully, personally, is going to be brought out in the light. He says to pray quietly in our closet in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, and God will reward us openly. Where did he get that? Same attitude right here. Be silent, be still, don't be anxious, don't worry. God will take care of you. Until time is right, the whole world will see. Rest, or wait, in the eternal, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who oppresses in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. We see wickedness clamping down on this nation around us. He says, well, wait patiently for me. I will take care of you when crunch time comes. 
Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. God tells us if a man is going to be angry, he says, have nothing to do with an angry man. Depart from, stay away from an angry man. So he tells us in our attitude to cease from anger and forsake wrath. Get it out of our system. Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil. So an angry, wrathful attitude is ungodly. And it has to go away. We need to be in a thankful, loving, trusting, patient, merciful attitude. So get rid of anger. Forsake it. And if others see an angry man, they are supposed to stay away from him so that that anger does not spread. We need to do that. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the eternal, they shall inherit the earth. Those who are patient, those who wait, who trust, will inherit the earth. Revelation 5.10 The righteous saints will inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. God's going to take care of it. Yes, you shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Well, wicked way is going to disappear. But the meek shall inherit the earth, quoted again in Matthew 5, verse 5, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. If you do that which is right, you can guarantee people will grind their teeth and their attitudes at you. The eternal shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. God will laugh at the wicked, because he can fix it. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. These, these are prophetic words about today. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. If we live... A God-fearing, righteous life, we may not have much physically, and we very well may not. We may even have a certain amount of want physically, but we're still better off than the wicked who have all kinds of money, because we can find peace, safety, security, and godly relationships with our brethren and with God himself, and that makes us far better off. What's that song? I only found one rich man in ten with a satisfied mind. Riches don't make you happy. You might think they do, but they won't. I've known quite a few wealthy people in my life, and I remember a lot of wealthy people who were not very happy people. It just doesn't bring you happiness. Happiness is a state of the mind, not of the pocketbook. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the eternal upholds the righteous. It's going to happen. So he says, cry here at the end time, that the wicked will wither as the grass. The eternal knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Well, he knows how old you are. He knows when you're going to die. He knows when you're going to live again, and your inheritance is forever. The meek shall inherit the earth. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Rahab, 
are going to inherit forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. God tells us if we're accounted worthy to escape, we will have everything we need when he unbuckles his shield and his sword against the wicked. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the eternal shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, they shall consume away. It's really easy to slay a lamb. They can't fight back, they're timid, they're weak, they're helpless. And that's the way God is against the world. They're helpless against his power. You know, you go if you go lion hunting, there's a certain amount of a percentage of risk that you will be eaten instead of or, or be killed instead of kill, I guess I'm trying to say. But when it comes to lambs, uh, God says all the enemies that he has are like lambs. They're helpless before his power. The wicked borrows and pays not again, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. He tells us not to be borrowers, but be lenders. We have to actually incorporate that into our lives. We have to quit borrowing and get ourselves in better financial shape so that we are in a position to lend, not to borrow. Well, I can't make ends meet. I have to borrow. Or I need a new car. I need to borrow. Uh, do you really? Do you really? You want a new car. Do you have to buy it and borrow money and pay interest? No, you don't. We can buy transportation that works pretty cheaply. I know a guy a few years ago that bought a car for two or three hundred bucks, and he's still running all over the country in it. Uh, I I knew a guy in Big Sandy, Texas, when I was a kid. He never he I think it was against his rules to buy a car for more than two hundred bucks. And if it lasted a week or a month, uh, he was fine because he could find another one for two hundred bucks. And he'd never go into debt. And some of those cars lasted him for years that he paid 200 bucks for. Some might have quit the next day, but some lasted for years. So I'm not saying we all ought to go buy $200 cars. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to get our finances under control, and we need to get out of debt. That's what Herbert Armstrong told the church decades ago. Start living a simpler type of life and get out of debt. And we as spoiled, fat Americans ignored him. And now, when things are getting tougher and jobs are harder to find and, and pay scales are going down instead of up, we find ourselves still tied to credit cards and still tied to car payments and various things. That's not the way God wants us to live. We need to cut back, cut out, not buy, until we can get out of debt. You know, we think we have to have certain electronic gadgets. We have to have this, and we have to have that. You know, a hundred years ago, nobody had any of that stuff. Not any of it. It didn't exist. Cell phones didn't exist until just a few years ago. Now everybody on earth has to have one. 
Do you have to have it? I doubt it. Well, we go ahead and reward ourselves with things that we think we want or need and are irresponsible. We have to have a vacation. We have to have a trip. We have to have this. We have to have that. We deserve it. No, we don't, and we don't have to have it. Now, I'm against cell phones and vacations. Not at all. Neither is God. But only if you can afford it. Only if you can pay your bills. The wicked borrows or owes and pays not again. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. So righteousness means that we put ourselves in a position where we are not in need of borrowing, but we put ourselves in a position where we can help those who need it. Loving our neighbors as ourselves. If you're to love your neighbor as yourself, you need to be in a position to help him when he needs it, not to take for him because you don't manage properly. And I'll guarantee you a lot of it is management. It's how we handle what we do have. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and that they be cursed of him shall be cut off. So he's telling us we need to put ourselves. Now, it may take some time but an effort. You can't do it overnight. Herbert Armstrong gave us several decades to do it, and we ignored him and still haven't done it. So it's time to get started. Our want list is a whole lot bigger than our need list, every last one of us. So live within our budget. Make a budget. And then do what God says here. The steps of a good man are ordered by the eternal. So it's an ordered path. It is directed by God. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Eternal upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. We already had comment on that, so I'll move on. He is ever merciful, and lends, and his seed is blessed. You know, in this society today, where we have had so much... Uh, if we are deeply in debt after the last 40 years of prosperity on this earth, we need to face the fact that we have mismanaged, like the rest of the people around us. We took more, we used more, we placated our desires more than we ought to have. And now we find ourselves behind the eight ball uh, and not in a good position because we did this and did that, which took the place of paying the bills and getting ahead. God would have us do that and be in a place where we can lend. He told Israel, I don't want you to be a borrower. You be a lender. And this nation was a lender for many years. And then we misused and abused everything that God has given and the blessings we had and now we are the biggest debtor nation on earth. How did that happen? Because of our human greed and jealousy and envy and desires. Lust. That's how we got this way. We need to reverse the trend. However, slowly, 
whatever it takes, we need to turn it around. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the eternal loves judgment and forsakes not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. New Testament quoted this, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He won't. It's only if we forsake him. Now, you don't like to hear some of the things that I'm saying here, but they're God's words about the way he wants us to live. And we've denied it. And it isn't pleasant to hear it. It isn't pleasant to hear you need to tighten your belt and not eat as much, or not do this as much, or not do that as much. It's not pleasant. I understand that. But there's a place God wants us to be. There's a position in life he wants us to have. And we have to do whatever is necessary to get there. The mouth of the righteous, verse 36, speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. We, we dwell on God. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. You may not have much physically, but if you have a good attitude, you have a right approach to life, and you're happy, uh, the wicked doesn't like that. He's jealous of it. The eternal will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the eternal and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Sometimes it's difficult, but the inheritance is worth it. Look at the two sons. One stayed and worked. He inherited the land. The other was prodigal and ran off to do his thing, and he wound up not inheriting. He had fun for a while, and the other one didn't, but who came out on top in the long run? When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. We've all seen that, haven't we? Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yes, I sought him, but he could not be found. He'll go away sooner or later. Mark the upright, or the mature, spiritually man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. So it's not what is happening just today, this day, but what is going to be the end of the thing. You can see a movie that goes up and down and all kinds of bad things happen, but isn't it nice when it turns out they all lived happily ever after at the end? That's where we're headed, you know. We, we do what's good and right. It may go up and down a lot, but It'll all wind up good in the end. But the salvation of the righteous is of the eternal. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the eternal shall help them and shall deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Well, let's go on one more chapter here. We've got a little time left. Oh, I didn't tell you. I've, I've got till four today. I wanted you to know that. It's only, well, it's 13 till four here. Those of you in Anatoth got about two more hours. O eternal, rebuke me not in your wrath, neither chasten me in your hot displeasure. Oh, we will sin, we will have problems, and when we do... <laughs> We don't want God's wrath upon us, do we? 
We plead for mercy, we plead for forgiveness, and we all have to do it. For your arrows stick fast in me, and your hand presses me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. This is a pretty sad plea here of someone who felt very, very guilty, as sometimes we do. And it hurts to know that God is going to have to chasten us and straighten us out. It's not an easy thing. There are those commentators who have thought maybe David had some horrible diseases here as he wrote this, or venereal disease, or whatever it may have been. Uh, I don't know that that was necessarily the case, but it's it's. let's look at it as spiritual condition. If we're not what we ought to be, and, and we're putrefying and and inside and aren't what we ought to be spiritually and we've been foolish then straightening that out and feeling God's displeasure at us is not a pleasant thing even as being puked out on the ground as the church has been right now is not a pleasant thing to consider and yet we have to do the repentance that is necessary to be wiped off, cleaned up, washed and to smell good to God is sweet incense again. That's where he wants us to go. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. We can get depressed, discouraged, frustrated. Uh, For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. Now, this could be Christ as well. He never did anything wrong. He was not spiritually diseased, but he took on our spiritual sins and our spiritual disease, he took on anything we are and ever have been upon himself. So he felt this way as he hung on that stake, that the whole world was caving in on him, that there was no soundness. He could tell all his bones as it's put in another place. Eternal, all my desire is before you, and my groaning is not hid from you. My heart pants, my strength fails. As for the light of my eyes, it also is gone from me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt all alone. He felt sick unto death. And then he died. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore. My kinsmen stand afar off, even his disciples whom he loved. More than he loved his physical mother and his physical brothers and sisters, he loved his spiritual brethren greater, because the spirit is thicker than blood. And what did they do? They denied him. They stood far off. They ran from it. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my heart speak mischievous things, and imagine deceits all the day long. He was accused of any and everything, and indeed... Any and everything that any human being has ever done evil was laid upon him. And he carried that guilt and died for our sins. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was as a dumb man that opens not his mouth. He didn't speak. He didn't deny. Thus I was as a man that hears not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in you, O Eternal, do I hope. You will hear 
O Eternal, my God. He never gave up his trust, his faith, in his Father. He felt forsaken, and he was, but only for a very short moment of death. In the next conscious second, he was alive again. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slips, they magnify themselves against me. Did he not say, If this cup can be taken from me, that's what I would want? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. For I am ready to fail, stumble, and fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. So even as he bore ours, we have to come before him and repent of ours. But my enemies are lively, and they are strong. You know, when you try to fight this world and Satan, <laughs> it's pretty lively. It's pretty strong. The pulls, the desires are there, and they are very, very strong and hard to fight. They that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are my adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. So Satan, the demons, the world, relatives, friends, will all be against us if we do what is right. Forsake me not, O Eternal. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Eternal, my salvation. So the words of Christ and the words of you and me as we seek God and want to follow his ways. Well, let's stop there then for today. Uh, and we'll see you next time I speak. <laughs>